Swopey.co. This is the flagship pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, a way of us unpacking all of the details in this absolutely wild banking crisis we've seen. SVP has now gone bankrupt since the last time we talked, and we've seen the, the worldwide banking system kind of go up and down, up and down every day. Today we're in the third reversal here as First Republic is driving the market into fear again. But to help me unpack all of that and sort of a long-term view here and how the economic system kind of created this moment is uh, Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, it's going to be real CFA hours here at Moby.co, so thank God we always have you here. What's good, man? What's What is going on with our banking system, bro? There's going to be a lot to unpack today, so excited to kind of dive in it. It's going to be a little bit more technical probably than most of our conversations. Uh, but we'll discuss today outside of a lot of things Peter talked about, the nuances of really what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and outside of what happened, why it's important and what it means for the rest of the financial sector and how the financial sector then affects the rest of the economy. And a lot of things that are underpinning this is the bond market, which something that we usually don't talk about and most investors don't talk about um, but the world runs on debt, and right now the bond curve or the bond yield and the bond market has been inverted for quite some time. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Fed does next with its rate cycle. But we'll again discuss on what's happening, what it means, and how this kind of impacts the economy going forward, and how we can finally get this all hopefully fixed away. But the the short of it is that the Fed has been raising rates you know, to slow down the economy. And this is exactly what happens when a slowdown occurs. Companies go belly up, people stop buying things. And again, raising rates does uh, does a lot. So excited to kind of just dive into all the nuances of it. But there's a lot that's going on and a lot how it'll ultimately impact us going forward. And that's been kind of like the line we've been towing here. And that's why, you know, what we have here at Moby.co is so awesome because we have that kind of partnership between journalism and actual financial analysis. Yeah, exactly. Like the super, we need that technical stuff to inform what the narratives are actually saying. Because, you know, you, you look at what's happening right now. You, we've been watching the Fed raise rates for the better part of a year now. And it's kind of had no effect. Like the Fed's ostensible goal has been to slow down the economy. And one of their chief KPIs there has been labor. And the labor market has kind of just been unbreakable outside of like, you know, white collar outside of tech. So it seemed like this wasn't having any effect. And then all of a sudden, we see all these banking failures. And from the dumb kind of perspective I have and what you kind of see online, this is very confusing, right? Because higher interest rates means more money for banks. So banks should do better now. But we're seeing bank failures. Like, let's let's start right there, Justin. Like, why why is raising rates not causing more revenue for banks? It's actually causing banks to fail. And how does the bond market play into this? Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting because there's a lot going on to your point right now. Um, first and foremost, to your point uh, surrounding the rates, um, you would think banks would make more money. That's because rates are higher, and so the loans they extend ultimately make more money, which is a portion of it. Mortgages but, are at six percent. Like you should be, you should be printing money right now as a bank. They were at one percent over a year ago. So, like again, pretty paradoxical. Not to interrupt. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. So that that's definitely one side of the equation. But ultimately, the higher rates go, the less amount of people can take loans. And so you definitely start seeing a decrease in overall volume. So even at higher rates and higher margins, ultimately, maybe your your revenue comes down a bit. But I think the, the bigger side of the equation right now <clears throat> is really on 
a bank's balance sheets and its assets and what it means. So to quickly dive into Silicon Valley Bank, I'm sure everyone's heard 5,000 things, but the real technical nuance is that Silicon Valley Bank had a lot of different types of bonds on its balance sheet. And the way they classify them is either available for sale or held to maturity. And so what that means, especially with Fed-related treasuries or any sort of Fed note, basically, if you have a 10-year federal bond, it is set to like what's called expire in 2033. And it was issued, you know, a year, two, three years ago at very low rates. And it's a fixed rate. As other bonds start getting issued on a weekly, daily, monthly basis, that 1% bond that you held ultimately is just less attractive because rates are so high um, that today's, for example, some like two-year notes, one-year note are yielding north of 5%. So why would you want a 10-year bond that pays you 1% when you could have a one or two-year bond that pays you 5%? So a lot of the securities that Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank held were ultimately a lot of these longer-term dated bonds that ultimately weren't worth that much because of the newly issued bonds as the Fed started increasing rates. And so as the Fed was increasing rates, what they did was move a lot of those bonds that started losing value from the available for sale category into the held to maturity category. And basically what that is at a very high level is you have bonds in the available for sale category. If you're planning on selling them, moving them, they're supposed to be more liquid. They get marked to market every single day, which means they're priced every single day. However, when you move them to the held to maturity column, they do not get marked to market every single day. So if you put in a bond that's trading at par, which basically means at its value that it was issued, and it starts losing value because the Fed's increasing rates, and now your bond's less attractive, when you move it over to the held to maturity column, it ultimately won't be marked to market. So that same bond that was maybe worth, you know, $1,000 per issuance is now worth 900, 800, 700, but it's not being technically marked to market. So while you and everyone else knows that it's worth less, you're not actually ever seeing it the, that loss realized on the balance sheet on the books. So in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, they had a ton of these bonds in the held to maturity category that ultimately lost a ton of value, which is fine. It happens. But the biggest thing is that a lot of these bonds, while they eventually would start then appreciating in value the closer and closer they got to maturity, because the, the government effectively would have to pay you back par once it reaches there, they were never able like they were never able to let the bonds mature to the point where it started increasing as it got closer to maturity. And past that, once the Fed starts decreasing rates again, those bonds also will become more attractive. But again, none of those things were able to happen because they didn't have the time value that elapsed. So normally you have a bunch of bonds in the available for sale category, a bunch in the held to maturity category, and it's business as usual. But in this case, there was so much decrease in the value of people's assets in the bank, decrease in the amount of revenue that's coming in the bank. And a lot of these companies starting to burn money was their core client base was these technology companies that their ability then to essentially keep the bank liquid became less and less and less. And it got to the point where a lot of these bonds that they normally would have held to maturity, they ultimately had to sell really early and then realize massive losses on their balance sheet in order to cover a lot of the losses in the other parts of their business. And once that happened, 
we saw a lot of venture capital capitalists tell their portfolio companies, hey, you know, this bank is clearly running at, at some sort of issue. This is something that you might want to be cognizant of. You should potentially pull your funds out. And so as more and more people pulled their funds out, that's where the the run on the bank ultimately happened. But then, and then at, a, at a high level, that's pretty much what happened. And then, you know, it kind of trans, transpired rather quickly. But then how that then goes through the rest of the industry is now you have the bond curve uh, that's inverted. So what that means is short-term bonds are paying more than long-term bonds, which is not normal. In, in bond markets, typically the longer the maturity is, the riskier it is, and you ultimately get compensated for that risk at higher interest rates. But because so many new bonds are being issued at higher rates, the demand for the shorter-term bonds are higher than the longer-term. And long story short, you end up with a bunch of bonds that are worth a lot more, that mature a lot quicker, and so naturally, investors want that. It makes sense. If you could tell me I would get my money back in 6% in a year or I would get my money back in 10 years and only get 5%, obviously, I'm going to take the 6% in one year. So that's what's happening right now. And so you're starting to see potentially some sort of contagion effect across banks where they have a lot of these bonds that are essentially for the time being very illiquid. If they're able to ultimately keep operating, those bonds will become more liquid over time. As they approach maturity, they'll start appreciating in value as they get closer and closer because they'll have to ultimately be paid back par, which was the issuing value. And then past that, one day, when the Fed starts decreasing rates again, those bonds will become more and more attractive until they're in parity at current rates. So long story short, what we're trying to say here is that this bond market, which ultimately helps companies raise money by issuing bonds, uh, helps the government raise money by issuing bonds, is becoming more and more illiquid with a lot of the outstanding bonds in the market because these short-term bonds with increasing rates are so attractive. And so a lot of people are buying them, financing them, um, and it's great for, for some of these treasuries and maybe even shorter-term corporate debt. But ultimately, this longer-term debt becomes highly illiquid, and the amount of money in the market dries up very quickly. And because rates are so high, people don't ultimately want to take out loans. The world runs on debt. And what we're trying to say is that now this is why the economy is slowing down. People can't get debt. They're investing in these short-term instruments. They don't want to go elsewhere, put money into stock market, crypto, other risky assets, because you're getting a pretty good return in these short-term options. So it's a, it's a long-winded way of saying this could ultimately have some pretty large contagion effects to the rest of the economy as more and more people move their money into these type of instruments, as longer-term debt becomes less and less valuable, we're just going to ultimately potentially see more and more of these effects spread throughout the economy. And it's it's something we need to be very aware of. Uh, every single time, for the most part, the bond curve yields inverts. We have a pretty big recessionary event or some sort of market bottoming. It's tough to say if we're th if it's behind us or ahead of us, but obviously the outlook is still you know, the rebound isn't here. The rebound isn't coming 100%. We've been saying it for months. There was obviously a very strong start in January into February. Things have kind of leveled out since then. But again, there's going to be a lot more of these effects spread throughout the economy. And there's a lot of underlying risks that, frankly, are impossible to tell, like which company could potentially go out of business next because it happens so fast. But these are ultimately risks that we need to be aware of as investors. 
And that gets to what the most, for me, the most paradoxical thing about all of this is right now. Because we're looking at, um, we've been using crypto as kind of a way of determining just how much risk there is in the market, right, Justin? That's how we've been playing it. We've been watching it, looking at more as a gauge, like how risk, you know, hungry the market is. Bitcoin was down for a while in uh, February and the beginning of March because people just were a little bit worried about the economy. Uh, now Bitcoin is on an absolute tear, up 20% in uh, five days, up 5% today, um, and hitting 26k, putting 28k in view, despite all this fear happening. Is this like the crypto bro manifesto playing out in front of us in real time? People are losing faith entirely in our banking system and shifting to crypto? Or is this just more like money moving around? This is completely confusing. To me dude no i mean it's a very good point crypto or bitcoin rather which is the barometer for crypto is up was it 60 percent this year almost obviously <laughs> down pretty high from uh or down pretty yeah down a lot from the highs i mean it was trading close to to 50 to 60k back in 2021 so not that long like ago November 2021, so yeah. While we're, yeah while we're seeing a strong rebound it's still let's be honest very very much off its all-time highs. Having said that, up 60% this year, that's obviously no joke. And especially in the last few days, dating back to March 9th, we're seeing it bottom out around 20,000, and now it's trading up to 26,000, which is a pretty significant jump. And March 9th, March 10th, March 11th, those lows are when we saw this like Silicon Valley bank unraveling. So yeah, I mean, to, to answer your question, there's definitely some sort of potentially flood to safety, which is a hilarious word to say when it talks to Bitcoin. Of all the things, that's the most hilarious statement, the, the most ridiculous thought that crypto is the flood to safety moment. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, this is like kind of the entire theory with crypto. It's a deregulated entity. You don't have to worry about government bonds and government debt and all these like ancillary third-party sources. It's just, hey, here's a decentralized money you can put your in. You don't have to worry about any institution that's failing, which was what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, now First Republic and a bunch of others with the fear spreading. So, I mean, long story short, this is like the promise of crypto. Obviously, it's a risky asset. It's, you know, up 60% this year. It shows you that it's not stable by any means. But we are seeing a, a quick rally, which does signal, hey, maybe there is some sort of, um, this transition in thought from saying this is going to be now correlated to the markets to now it's going to be uncoupled from what the markets. So, I mean, long story short, it's it's this is unfolding in real time. So it's I I'm very hard pressed to say this is you know it is or it isn't given what's got or is is or isn't correlated to what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank. But I think we're going to need a little bit more data before we're able to to point and say this is exactly what's happening right now. Exactly. So, you know, don't expect us to write a Bitcoin is decoupling article in the next week or so, audience. But, you know, by, by mid-April, if this trend continues, we'll, you know, keep an eye on it. So, Justin, that also gets into other aspects of the economy as well. So I want to get back to, like, how we're looking towards this in the future because credit uh, First Republic Bank keeps going down. Credit Suisse is still in a shaky position. Like, the, the Dow has just been pretty unhappy now that we're finally at the end of the week. Um, but there's other aspects of our economy that are showing actual improvement. Um, the main thing that drove inflation in the first place was supply chains, logistics. Things were kind of falling apart for a while there because costs were so high. FedEx just nuked earnings, Justin. I'm kind of blindsiding you with this. Um, they're only up 6% now, but they hit about 10% earlier this morning off of just like an absolutely astounding earnings beat. And... Um, a uh, just just really solid outlook like their costs are finally coming down they're finally figuring it out of course fedex's principal issue 
was energy prices. Energy prices have gotten a little bit under control thanks to a lot of factors within the inflationary situation we're in. Regular inflation is still going up even though energy prices are going down. so But we're seeing those little bits of improvements. When we get back to the Fed, we get back to interest rates raises. One thing our audience keeps asking is, Justin, uh, people in our Discord are pretty horrified that um, the ECB raised rates yesterday, d despite everything that's going on. Uh, I know we're not inside Jerome Powell's head or anything, but with something as bad as this happening, with you know as big of a shakeup happening in the banking sector, with the lack of confidence hitting, is there any chance that the Fed pauses rates raises this early, or are we still going to see like a 25 point ba 25 basis point rise no matter what is that just kind of priced in right now yeah i mean it's a good question um especially because there's been a lot of thoughts on both sides so the banks collapsed on friday which is only a week ago and everyone said there's no way the fed increases given what's going on they've they said they wanted to move till they broke something they broke something you know they're they're clearly gonna not necessarily stop raising rates, but they're ultimately going to pause for the time being. That was the consensus over the weekend. Monday rolls around. They're like, okay, you know, Silicon Valley Bank is safe. Government stepped in. Um, you know, maybe the Fed potentially actually does move because inflation is still pretty high. The inflation numbers come out on Tuesday, up 6% year over year, in line with expectations, but still obviously significantly elevated off the levels that we want. So, there's been a lot, a lot of movement over the last week in terms of where um, the, the market is pricing in, whether or not the Fed will raise rates. Uh, right now, again, there's, this is a lot of data, uh, a lot of data like right now um, that, that's moving in real time. And I think ultimately right now we will see the Fed move, maybe not as strongly as they would have given what's going on. They might want to see it play out a little bit more. But I would be very surprised if they decide to skip this month of increasing rates, given what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. So long story short, I see them and the market is pricing in that they raise rates again. Um, I, you know, I know last Friday they talked about that they're, the market was pricing in a pause. But again, I think that's very unlikely given what's going on right now. Of course. And I guess it's one of those things like we just got to keep, you know, reacting in real time, basically, as we watch this happen. So with um, the bond situation happening, are there any other sectors within banking that you think might be at risk? Or was the prince or have we just seen the major cards fall right now? Like when we talk about contagion, like, is that just regional banks? Are we going to watch consolidation happen in the banking space? Or are we still just kind of in, in like the fog of war when it comes to exactly what the fallout from SVB, First Republic and all that are going to be? Yeah, so obviously con consolidation in the banking industry is never a good thing. Like we need regional banks. We don't want all the power being in, you know, what's called Wells Fargo, Citibank, Chase, and um, and Bank of America. Might be missing a few people there, but ultimately, yeah, consolidation is not a good thing. We we want this diversification of assets. So obviously, First Republic, there are spheres there. There's spheres now with Credit Suisse. Spheres with a ton of banks who aren't the big guys, and even the big guys, I'm sure, have underlying risk. But outside of those direct contagion effects with the individual banks, yeah, we're going to start to see this potentially spread out to other companies as well. So it started with tech. Tech obviously got nuked over the last year. As rates increased, their availability for cheap cash decreased, and therefore their, abil their ability to finance growth also decreased. Now we're seeing it move into the financial sector. Now that you know, these financial institutions are some of the largest debt holders in the country. As debt reprices itself, their balance sheet reprices itself. 
from there, it can continue spreading out to other sectors of the economy. You know, I'm not suggesting that necessarily like food and agriculture will be impacted, but you know, a lot of our countries are a lot of our country's farming and food production is based on like over hundred billion dollars worth of debt. So if debt gets more expensive, food will be then impacted. And so maybe some farmers aren't able to have the crop yields they once were because they can't afford the the equipment that goes into it. And then ultimately with less food becomes more inflation. And so it's hard to say which sector of the economy will break, but I think tying this together from the beginning of this podcast is that more things can potentially unravel that are hard to predict given what's going on. At any point, if one domino falls, more dominoes will fall after. It's just that initial domino, that initial black swan type event is it's impossible to say because so many, so many things need to fall in order for that to happen. No one can predict this stuff. Silicon Valley Bank, yeah, people called out the risk, but no one was, you know, shorting it to the extent of it going out of business in 48 hours. Like these are these are huge events. And so if Ukraine steps in, or sorry, the Ukraine war escalates even further, that will then have widespread repercussions down the supply chain that we can't anticipate today. So there's a lot of macro forces at play. It's, you know, I think the biggest takeaway is right now is just to be defensive. Um, find stocks that are extremely sold off, that have good fundamentals that can continue growing in the long run. Potentially park your assets in these short-term treasuries that are yielding 5% plus um, and just continue to find investments again that we believe in is how we'll mitigate a lot of these short-term risks. Yeah, never, never a better time to, you know, do that 60-40 strategy, right? And, you know, play that defense game, which is terrible for us because it means I have to research just the most boring companies on earth um, and reestablish our analyses there. But we'll survive. It's also finding those inflection point moments. Basically, Justin, do you see this as just kind of steepening our shift from value from growth to value? Are we going to stick more in the defensive place, more in the value place for, for a while here? Is this going to sort of extend the stock market winter, so to speak? Are we still just holding our breath until like Black Swan Part 2 drops? You know, it's like... There are certain names that are extremely sold off that we continue to like. So like in one of our portfolios, um, like one of our quantitative based portfolios, the growth at a reasonable price one that, that we just actually announced yesterday, like Zoom's in there. So Zoom obviously historically has not been a huge value play, but you look at the stock and right now it's trading at 70 bucks, which means it's at a $20 billion valuation and it's significantly off its peaks of close to $600 in price. So this year, even with what's going on, it's still up 5% this year. Um, so those are good places that it's like, okay, well, this company is, is profitable. It's still growing, maybe not at the same margins it once was, but there's a real path to recovery in the long run. And they're not necessarily just a video communications app. So finding examples like that, where there's still tech companies that we like that are at very reasonable valuations that a lot of the downside is priced in at this point. Obviously, again, there's still extenuating risks if they run on certain debt, if there's other things that rising interest rates will break in their overall business cycle, um, depending on who their customers are, like when Silicon Valley Bank was thought that way they went out of business, even if you weren't impacted, maybe your customers are. So your ability to get revenue gets impacted. So there's a lot of these downstream effects, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, there's still a handful of tech companies that are growing extremely well, doing extremely well. Um, yeah, their valuations got slashed, but a lot of this is priced in, but Again, that's why we're trying to find names that we still like that are sold off. Tech is obviously a hard place to do that, um, but there's still going to be a handful of names that we're big believers in. 
Yeah, which is which is it's all about the blue chip names right now too, folks, and finding those moments of relative weakness to jump on, so to speak. Which is why, in the middle of all this, you saw us putting out more analysis. Why we're even more bullish on Tesla again because of the way they're kind of shifting their entire business model to give them little bits of leverage over the rest of the EV market. And why next week you may see some reporting on us from Apple because this is kind of like the the best time to sort of get in before Apple's hype cycle starts uh, ramping up and that stock becomes more overvalued year over year. So there's there's Still, there's still games to be played right now. There's still a lot of health in this economy. There's still people doing well. I'm, I'm so excited about FedEx right now as somebody from Memphis. Go Tigers tonight, by the way. Ignore me. Um, just just a lot of things that we can be excited about, too. So I'll be seeing the, that from us uh, as we sort of like reevaluate. We were getting more into the growth of your names. We're getting back a little bit more into value just to make sure that we are, you know, hedging our analysis through what is ultimately kind of like a very foggy period. But Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Again, really awesome conversation. Always surprised that half an hour just zips by like that. Any final thoughts from you before we go ahead and read the credits here, man? As always, just awesome conversation, and I really appreciated you really unpacking sort of the nuance here in our banking situation. No, this is, uh, I think, a very, very good overview of what's going on so far. Again, if you've been listening for a while, you know this. If you're a newer listener, this might be news to you. But again, we've been defensive now for over a year. Anytime there's a rally, we're still being extremely cautious. Um, we're not saying this is the bottom, all chips on the table. Again, we're, we're dollar cost averaging into names we fundamentally believe in over the long run. But with the yield curve inverted, with what's going on in the world, there, there's no reason to believe that we're necessarily at, at the bottom. And even if we are, um, putting all your chips in one basket is never necessarily a wise move. So we need to be selective, need to be smart and, and be strategic. Awesome. And that's a really great place to end it. So audience, if you have any other questions for us, you can feel free to hit us up at hellomobi.co or just leave a comment on the post you have here or just find us on our Discord, honestly. Otherwise, audience, we really appreciate your time. Feel free to also find us on TikTok before that gets banned or, you know, more importantly, get it, hit us up on Instagram. Uh, if you are new to us, you can always check us out over at mobi.co slash go. Get a free trial, see more of our long-term perspective and our long-term analysis. Otherwise, audience, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be be well. Thank you so much.